Our New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the son of the living God. We pray that you would help us to recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to follow him with all our hearts. We ask you, we thank you for giving us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that we would use them to unlock the doors of salvation for all those who seek you. Teach us to receive your revelation and to follow your guidance. Protect us from evil and prepare us for your coming. Lord, we ask for peace in our tensioned world, protection for our first responders and military personnel and wisdom for our global leaders. We thank you for the hope of cooler weather and the potential for rain. Jesus, we love you as our Lord, Savior, and friend. Fill us with your spirit and help us to hear your voice through Ryan's message. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I really loved reading a few years back a story by Malcolm Gladwell in his little book called The Tipping Point. And in that book, he tells a story of a Boston silversmith named Paul Revere. And the story goes that in, on April 18th of 1775, there was a stable boy in the afternoon who overheard a British officer saying, hey, tomorrow it's all going to shake out. Tomorrow it's all going to happen. And there were a few choice words. Well, the stable boy knows exactly what to do. And he sprints to Paul Revere's house and he says, hey, it's shaking down. This is what I heard. And by that time, Revere kind of already knew that it was pretty imminent that that was going to happen, but that confirmed it. So he meets with his good pal at 10 p.m. He hops on a ferry. They decide now is the time we need to spread the word to get everybody ready. Then he hops on his horse and he rides to tell the news that we all hear when we're growing up in U.S. history, the British are coming. The British are coming, right? 
So the famous midnight ride of Paul Revere was from Boston to Lexington. It covered about 13 miles and it took him two hours. He knocked on doors in every town that he went through along the way. There were bells that started to ring in the church towers. There were drums that were beating wherever they could find them. And by 5 a.m. on that next morning, the news had spread 40 miles northwest of Boston. So that when the British marched on Lexington on 19 April, the local people were prepared and the American Revolution, as we know it, had commenced. This was a tipping point in the story of the American Revolution, the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Peter's confession in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, marks a tipping point in Matthew's gospel. Things would never be the same from this moment on. There had been hints along the way, but from this moment forward, the story of our redemption through Jesus Christ, through the cross, becomes clearer and clearer by the day. And Jesus' promise about the resilience of the church is proven over and over and over again, including this very morning in Sweetwater, Texas. So what's behind the tipping point of Peter's great confession that day? So Paul Revere is a name that we know. A name that we don't know, some of you may know, I definitely did not know, is a name called William Dawes. Now, William Dawes is not a name that we learn in U.S. history for good reason, because on the night of 18 April 1775, he carried the exact same message as Paul Revere, the British are coming, but Revere rode north and Dawes rode south. No one has ever heard of William Dawes because his midnight ride was a failure. Hardly anyone from the towns that he visited showed up to fight the next day simply because they did not know what was happening. They did not have the news. And so why have we heard of Paul Revere, but we've never heard of William Dawes? Well, historians can pick out pretty much why everybody knew in the towns that Paul Revere visited because Paul Revere was known by everyone in the towns that he stopped by. And Paul Revere knew the exact doors to knock on because he'd been there before. And he frequently made rides to Philadelphia and New York City. And so he knew the people. He was a connector. He was a remarkable individual. He was involved in everything that was happening in the Boston community that needed good leadership. From the streetlights they imported in 1774, he was the chairman of that committee. Uh, he was the health, health officer, the first one they had. And when they had extreme poverty happening after the war, he was the guy that got called in to lead that committee too. So he clearly was a remarkable individual who was so well connected that when he uttered so much as a word and knocked on one door, news spread like wildfire. My hunch, if we look behind the scenes at any tipping point that's worth remembering, there is a deeper story that explains the courage and in some cases the faith that lies behind it. 9-11, first responders, we know some of those stories. Uh, I was thinking of Pat Tillman, uh, who gave up a lucrative NFL career to go fight in Afghanistan and ultimately cost him his life, you know, here 20 years back. I think of Rosa Parks, who behind the great action that we know her for was a lifelong member of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. I think of Rahab, the prostitute in the great Old Testament story who hid the spies and did a great faithful thing for the advancement of what God was doing in the world. 
a deep faith such that we would tell her story every Advent and we would learn about her story when we read the New Testament. So back to the tipping point in Matthew's gospel, Peter's confession. Why? What was behind that great confession? Did it just spring up out of nowhere? Or what was really going on beneath the surface? Peter demonstrates by his confession that he knows Jesus. He demonstrates that he's been leaning this direction for a good while. He names Jesus and he says, Jesus, you are the one that we've been waiting for. Knowing you is the most important thing in this life. And we've learned that by now. And we know that, that this is the most important thing that actually echoes in the life to come as well. And then Jesus responds to Peter and says, you know what, Peter, I know you too. And you've said my name correctly and what comes with that name. And I'm going to give you a new name. You're like a boulder. You're this giant rock. And on that great boulder, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, the very depths of evil and death, will not be able to overcome what I will build on this rock. Jesus tells Peter that he's blessed because human beings clearly did not reveal to Peter that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter didn't just figure that out in a library somewhere. He had to learn it by cooperating with the Spirit of God. Jesus says, it was really my Father in heaven that revealed this to you, Peter. So it turns out that Peter's tipping point confession is a cooperation between Peter's faith and the revelation of God. This is how faith works, isn't it? Uh, this is how revelation works. You know, sometimes we think of the revelation of God as something that's just going to sort of descend out of the sky and just, you know, get our attention immediately, like a, a light bulb going on or like a billboard that we've never seen before. There's going to be an explosion in the sky, and that's going to be the revelation of God. And sometimes the revelation of God is shocking, such as on the road to Damascus, a certain Saul who was persecuting Christians and then has this immediate revelation, this encounter of the living Christ, turns his life in a different direction, an astonishing, shocking moment. But most of the time, throughout most of Scripture, most history, and if we were really honest, through most of our lives, those would be the exceptions, not the norm. More often, revelation is something that resounds in ears that are ready to hear. Revelation is something that resounds in hearts that are ready for the weight of God's goodness. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Are we cultivating within our hearts and our lives a readiness to receive the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ? So it's Peter's readiness plus God's revelation that yields this great confession, cooperation. And this is a confession that you and I echo along with the church throughout the centuries. And then Jesus responds to this great confession that he will build his church on the boulder that is Peter and his faith. Jesus will, in fact, build his church on nothing less. Jesus will not build his church on anything less than this very confession and this very quality of faith. The good news is, is that in the midst of so many dark times when we wonder whether the church will prevail against the gates of hell and evil and all the stuff that gets thrown at us, the good news is that faith is remarkable 
but it's contagious. It's something that we don't have to go looking for and digging for and wonder where in the world it is, but we begin to see glimpses of it and it inspires us. You know, it wakes us up and we say, gosh, I want to do that. I think I can do that. I want to lean in. Tell me, how did you get to the point where you were listening like that? Where did you get ears to hear like that? And our curiosity becomes contagious as well. And then we're a whole room full of people, a whole group full of people, a chapel full of people, a food pantry full of people, and we're leaning in to wonder what God is wanting to say and show to us. Faith in this way is contagious. The great thing about faith too, uh, if you're like me when you look at this story, is that faith is not something, the real faith, the real deep faith that's ready for this kind of confession is not mistake-free. Is that good news or what? It's not something that we try and we start and we get it right every time, 100% of the time. No, we fail so many times. We drop the ball. We drop the ball. We miss it. I know this because uh, my own life, but I also know it because in the very story of Scripture itself, God, through the apostles and the Scripture writers, does not hide this stuff from us. In fact, this great confession that is the turning point of the whole story of Matthew, the immediate context prior and the context immediately after this story goes something like this, right at the right, up, right before this, Jesus has to say, oh my goodness, you guys of little faith, how do you think that I'm talking about this when clearly I've been showing you and leading you and I'm talking about this? You missed it all together. You have little faith. And then Peter nails it, gets this confession. Things are going really well. And not a few sentences later in the story, Jesus has to tell Peter, would you kindly get behind me, Satan? You know, it's a, it's a stark change. It's like, Peter, you are the boulder and I'm going to build my church on you. No, you're missing it, Peter. Get the heck behind me. You've got the whole story wrong. If you go about it that way, you're going to miss what I'm trying to build. Sandwiched in between those failures is Peter's great triumph. And I think so many of our triumphs of faith are sandwiched between the difficulties and the times where we drop the baton and the beauty of this whole story is that we continue to pick it back up. And the resilience of the church and the collaborative faith of the church is stronger than our momentary drops of the faith baton. Attested faith is what we're after anyways. We're after a kind of faith that requires some resistance. It requires participating in a really difficult scenario, one after the other, to really get us where we need to be so that our faith is ready, so that it's the kind of faith that is contagious. It's the kind of faith that is inspiring. It's the kind of faith that makes the world look around and go, okay, that story at first looks like a story of failure, the whole cross thing. But in reality, I can see now that through faith, this story is a game changer. This story is a life changer. This story takes us places that we could not go, would not desire to go otherwise the resilience of the church, the promise that is bearing out right before our eyes. After all the centuries, after all the assaults of hell and death from within the church, for crying out loud, the ones from outside the church, the promise was not that we would avoid evil. The promise was not that we would have an existence that would be outside the effects of hell. But the promise would be that when the pressures and powers of hell were so strong, and all we could see when we read the news and we look down our neighborhood streets is, my goodness, aren't the gates of hell strong? It was in those moments that Jesus said, I can assure you 
that the church will prevail. The church that I am building can withstand all of that stuff. It was an announcement to Peter that, Peter, you've said correctly, you've confessed correctly, it's going to get harder from here, but I'm just going to tell you from the beginning, this is a victorious story. This is a story where we win, and the gates of hell do not win, because I'm telling you, on a lot of Tuesday mornings and Friday afternoons, Peter, you're going to need to remember that, because it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be pretty. After all, we've always lived in a world, you know, this is not just 21st century America or 21st century Russia, if you can imagine living there. But imagine what it was like to live in this region of the world in the Roman Empire. And they're up in a different part of the country and the disciples are, they've got their ear to the ground and they're reading the community newspaper. So Jesus says, hey, who are people talking about me? You know, who do people say that I am? And people are like, well, gosh, we're hearing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, just like we hear today. Oh, Jesus was just the, he was the foreshadowing of the Marxist revolution. Oh, Jesus was, he was a great moral teacher, you know, not really miracles and stuff, but great moral teacher. We like Jesus. As long as Jesus leaves us alone, we leave him alone. Uh, whatever the narrative is, right? Great. Jesus was a freedom fighter. You know, Jesus was, we hear all the stuff about who Jesus was that our culture says. And Jesus says, yeah, Peter, but I know, but who do you guys say that I am? Who do y'all say that I am? Notice he says y'all to the whole tribe, to the whole team. And Peter's the one with the courage to speak up and say, well, I know what I would say, Jesus. You're the Christ, right? You're the son of the living God. But in the midst of a confused world, a world that's, excuse me, confused about Jesus, uh, that's never going to change, you know, in our time on this earth. But what really it ends up coming down to so many times is just back to the basics of who do you say that Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do our children say that Jesus is? Uh, who do we together say Jesus is? The story of Christianity is not asking everyone to be Paul Revere, right? It's not asking everyone to be Peter. Um, some remarkable personality traits and business connectivity. You know, we can't all be all the places all the time. Uh, we're not all going to end up with a story like that. Uh, some of us will, and that's our role to play and our calling, and we'll, we'll walk into that. But most of us, we're like William Dawes, you know? We don't know that many people outside of our neighborhood. So if I were to, you know, get on a horse and ride to Bront, ain't nobody care what I have to say down in Bront. You know, that's just most of us are not connected in that way, and that's all right. That is all right, because we are here where we're planted. You are where you're planted. And not everyone needs to be the boulder that was Simon Peter. But thanks be to God that the church throughout history survives in one tough climate after another. Thanks to the millions of Christians like yourselves who, full of faith and ready for revelation, announce in the presence of one another, Jesus you are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are the one that we have waited for, and you are the one that is worthy of everything that is inside of me. Church, may we hold fast to the confession of our faith with our lips, yes, certainly, but truly with our hearts, with our mind and our strength. May this be the song that we sing, uh, the story that we tell, and the object of our strongest affections. And then we will have secured 
a front row seat. I love watching the U.S. Open yesterday with Reese and uh, watching uh, all these celebrities in the crowd, you know, and I was just thinking, man, it'd be fun to go, go to the U.S. Open. I wonder what it would cost to get a ticket right there on the front row where you could see. And before I even tried to look it up, I was like, no, nope, that ain't ever going to happen. You know, it's a, it's a hard place to get into. But I was thinking this, with, with this kind of faith and with this kind of leaning in to what God is doing the re- through the revelation of the world in, in his work in the world, we will have a front row seat always. We'll be firsthand participants throughout our lives and especially beyond this life in the greatest building project in the history of the world, the church of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.